That is the best intro video I think we've ever shown, right? I think so, yeah? All right, one person thinks so. Thank you. You know, there's nothing more fun than being up here telling a joke and hearing nothing. No laughs, people look at you like you're crazy. Fortunately, fortunately, I have a lot of experience with that. Well, I'm excited to be here. As uh, Ryan said, my name's Jeremy. I have the privilege of serving on the governing team here at Mosaic, and uh, Pastor Eric asked me a couple months ago if I was interested in speaking, and uh, I said, if I have to, sure. Um, no, I was excited about it. Um, it's been a few years for me, but um, <clears throat> it's going to be a good day, I think. So if you're new here to the church, uh, something that's important for you to know about us is we like to spend our Sunday morning studying books of the Bible. So uh, how we do that is we pick a book. Uh, we have a team that picks a book. What, what are we going to study? Right now we're in, in the book of Luke. We actually started the book of Luke earlier this year. We spent a number of months in there, and then we took a break in September to talk about the Song of Solomon. Um, and then we had a Christmas series, which, of course, you have to have a Christmas series, right? And then last week, we jumped back into the book of Luke, and Pastor Nate taught, uh, kicked off our new series, as you can see behind me, called Stay Positive. And he talked about positive people are generous. And he did a great job. He's not in here right now, but he's going to listen to the podcast. He promised me he would. So let's give him a round of applause, right? Pastor Nate did a great job last week. He was, it was awesome. And I will tell you, there is nothing more difficult than talking about generosity. Just trust me, that is a challenging topic. So he did a great job. Um, today, we're going to be continue in the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at the book of Luke chapter 17. And we're going to be talking about a topic called Positive People Are Grateful. Positive people are grateful. When I was 21, um, I got a job at a large church in the Twin Cities here. And um, the biggest benefit of having this job was they had a large youth group. And with a large youth group, that means you got a lot of toys to play with, right? So what better way to spend your lunch break than playing video games when you're 21 or a three-quarter court basketball court? Any basketball fans in here? A couple? All right. So when we were, we would have about five to eight guys, we would go down to the gym and we'd play basketball at lunch almost every single day. It was a ton of fun. Like I said, it was probably one of the best things about the job, something that I absolutely cherished. And I got to know a lot of people there pretty quick. So there was about eight of us that would go down and play basketball. And one guy, his name was Kevin. I'll never forget Kevin. He was a really funny guy. Um, he had a really boisterous laugh. He was always talking. So we got along really well. And he just had this way of saying things. We were talking one day after basketball, we were sitting there cooling down, and we were talking about choices that we made in life that kind of led us down this wrong path. And I'll never forget, he was telling this story, and I don't remember exactly what it was that he said, but he said, I made this, I made this decision, and man, it ended up giving me a lot of pain in my life. And I realized that by, by choosing that route, it gave me so much pain, and he just... For some reason, he stuck his face right in mine, like three inches away, stuck his head out, and he said, ask me how I know that that, was hurt, that that caused pain in my life. It was really clear that Kevin had experienced something that caused him to have this pain in his life. Well, I have a very annoying habit, okay? My daughter and wife will attest to this. I like to look up the meanings of words. My daughter's nodding her head right now. I like to look up the meaning of words. Um, <clears throat> so my wife and I will be having a discussion, 
she'll say something, she'll, uh, when she says something, and I recognize right away, okay, her and I clearly define whatever this word is differently. Have you guys ever experienced that, where you define something different from someone you're having a conversation with? Yeah, I think so. So I pick up my phone immediately, and that's my wife's cue. She closes her eyes, they roll to the back of her head, and immediately we get to have a really spirited discussion. Spirited discussion. It's really, really fun. Well, when Pastor Eric asked me to speak here at church, two things immediately popped in my head. One, he said, we're talking about gratefulness. And I said, all right, I got to look up gratefulness because I can't really talk about it if I don't know what it means. And the second thing is that I said, man, am I going to have to find a new church to go to? Because anyone who would let me up here, I don't know if I can be a part of that church anymore, right? Yeah? <laughs> See? I wrote down here, and Ryan Holland degrees. I should have wrote down Brian Stevens degrees. No, I was, uh, I was looking up the word grateful. And it kind of probably seems a little silly to some people, I guess, because we all think we know what words mean when we use them. But I wanted to make sure that I was looking it up. So I wrote down the definition of grateful is feeling or showing an appreciation of kindness or being thankful. Okay, right? That's pretty what I thought it was. Then I looked over and there was a little word at the bottom that said ungrateful with a hyperlink. That was way too tempting for me not to click on it. But it's not necessarily the best idea to look up negative words like that because you never know how they're going to apply to your life. So it was a little scary, but it, eventually my habit got the best of me. I clicked on ungrateful, and here's how it defines ungrateful. Not feeling or showing gratitude. It's pretty standard, right? Makes sense? You guys are all wondering why am I even talking about this at this point? Because that's pretty obvious. You all knew that already? Well, something hit me that day when I was reading that. It says that grateful is feeling or showing gratitude. Ungrateful is not. Where's the loophole? Where's the middle ground? Where's the gray area in there? Either I am grateful or I'm not grateful. And that just hit me like a brick. The reason why is because it made me think about my life. It made me think about all the times that I've experienced something and not been grateful for it. And that's really, really challenging to face that. So with there being no middle ground, and I'm an American, that's really scary. I mean, it's almost tax season. Loopholes are our friend. And there is no loophole, apparently, with gratitude. But the beautiful part about it, I realize, is that it's not a negative thing. It's actually a positive thing. Because it doesn't say that there's levels of gratitude. It says you're either grateful or you're not. So that means if I have a little gratefulness in me, then I'm grateful for that. Positive spin? I thought so. I like it too. <laughs> you see, this topic is perfect for me because I am not naturally a positive or grateful person. Okay, it's really fun when someone gets up here and says, yeah, I'm really good at this, so you should all do exactly what I do. See, my message is more of I'm not good at this, so you should do the opposite of what I have done before. <clears throat> well, being a young Christian, uh, when I started working at this church, I had a friend there, and he used to jokingly say that my spiritual gifts were judgment and criticism. Do you guys know what spiritual gifts are? Spiritual gifts are things God gives us. So clearly, judgment and criticism are not my spiritual gifts. But apparently, I was really good at that at that time. And I would love to stand here and tell you that that's not true, but I would be lying, and that's probably not a good idea. 
See, I was pretty cynical and I was pretty insecure. And that insecurity and that cynicism really caused me to have a lot of judgment because I always wanted to prove why I wasn't as bad as I felt. But I learned as I grew up, and if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, we're going to have it on the screen. Gratefulness and positivity can be learned. Gratefulness and positivity can be learned. See, if you're not a natural, grateful person, you can change that. You can become more grateful, or you can become grateful. If you're not naturally a positive person, you can change that too. You can become a more positive person. And next fill in the blank here, everyone wants to be around grateful people. We all know this really intuitively, right? If you're around someone and they're constantly negative, how often do you want to hang out with them? Thank you. Never. <laughs> Have you ever done a task for someone and they acted like it was your job to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mothers, raise your hand high. <laughs> Proudly. Yeah, I know. My wife has told me many times it's a really big issue for mothers feeling like they're not being, that they're being taken for granted. <clears throat> if you're a parent, how many times... Have you felt like your kids expect you to do something for them rather than being grateful for it? If you're a teenager, we got a couple of teenagers in here, right? If you're a teenager, how many times have your parents asked you to do something and then you did it and you're waiting for the thanks for doing it and it never came? That can be challenging. We've all been here before. We've all experienced ungratefulness. And let's be honest, it didn't feel very good, did it? It didn't, want to, it didn't make you want to go above and beyond and bless that person even further. Quick show of hands, how many people here love doing something for ungrateful people? No hands. One sarcastic hand, but that's all right. I'm sarcastic too, I get that hand. How many times have, you, how many times have we done that very thing to someone else? Right? How many times have we done, been ungrateful to our spouse, our kids, our friends, whoever it is? How many times have we been on the other side of this, but we've been so busy we didn't even notice? I haven't quite figured out whether positive people are grateful or grateful people are positive. I don't know. Chicken and egg, which one comes first? Doesn't really matter. <clears throat> but I can tell you one thing, that you can, that being grateful will cause you to be a more positive person. You can ask me how I know that. I've struggled with this over the years. My first thoughts are not often positive or grateful. But the best part about it is the more that I make the effort, the better I get at it. I think we all struggle with this to some extent, don't we? All of us have experienced pain or adversity that has influenced our levels of cynicism and negativity, which affect our gratefulness. If you're sitting here now and you think that you're the only one, just listen to all the people not, or see all the people nodding their head and laughing, because it's true for all of us. You're not alone if you've struggled with this before. We all struggle to stay positive sometimes. But the beautiful part is, is that there's hope. We don't have to just sit here and expect to stay in a negative or an ungrateful place. We're going to look at a story in the book of Luke, chapter 17. I mentioned that. Get it open. Um, for those of you who don't know who Luke was, he was a companion of Paul's who wrote almost all of the New Testament. He wrote a huge, huge amount of the New Testament. 
Uh, Luke was a, a doctor who was a companion of Paul's who went around and collected the stories of Jesus from the eyewitnesses of, at that time who had walked with Christ. And what he did is he took them, he put them in chronological order as best he could, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. One quick note here, um, the Gospel of John actually says in the very last verse that not everything Jesus did was written down. I think that's kind of cool because that means, think about it, when Jesus was walking around, he was a rock star. Like, everybody was following him. How many times do you read the Gospels and it says that there was a crowd around Jesus? Everywhere he went, he was healing people, he was helping people, he was making a difference in people's lives. And so there are countless, countless stories that we don't even have. But what that means to me is, is that when Luke was collecting all of these stories, that there are probably some stories that he, wasn't, that he did not put in this gospel of things that happened. There are stories in the other gospels that are not in the book of Luke. And so it's kind of interesting to me because that means that the stories that he has in here are actually important. They have a purpose in there. So before we read the story, I want to cover a couple things up front. How many of you have ever heard of leprosy? Leprosy. Okay, these are all the people who have been in church. People who have never been in church have never heard of leprosy because it's not exactly a common ailment that we face in America today. But what leprosy was, was it was a skin disease. And at the time, people believed that anyone who had leprosy was actually being punished by God for their bad behavior, for their sins. So they would not feel guilty at all about casting lepers out of the community. If you had leprosy because it was so contagious, you couldn't live within the city. You had to go outside the city and live in these camps where all the other lepers were, and you were exiled away. And it made it really easy by saying that it's because of result of their sin that they got it. It makes it really easy just to shove people aside at that point, doesn't it? Well... <clears throat> The other thing I wanted to mention was is that there are 10 people in the story. The story is about Jesus healing 10 lepers. There are 10 people in the story. Nine of them were Jews. One of them was a Samaritan. When we read Samaritan, to us it means nothing. But in that day, the Samaritans were hated people by the Jews. Anytime a Samaritan came up, people would look at them as if they were Packer fans. Oh... I was told not to do that joke, but I just couldn't resist. No, the Samaritans were not, they, they and the Jews would feud all the time. They hated each other. They were viewed as traitors. And so when, it, when, when you see a Samaritan in a story, a lot of times, someone's making a point. Because that Samaritan has a purpose in that story, but we'll get there. So let's go ahead and take a look at it. The uh, uh, verses are going to be on the screen behind me. Or, like me, you can pull up your Bible app, because you don't carry a real Bible anymore, do we? Not many people anyways. So, we're going to read chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That's really key. Like I said, lepers were not allowed to approach people. If, if you had leprosy and you actually walked up to somebody, you could be killed. They had the right to kill you, to stone you, and they were not going to get in trouble at all because that was their legal right at that time because leprosy was that considered that bad and was that contagious. And so for these people to stop at a distance and cry out to Jesus, the other thing that I noticed there is they said master. They recognized who he was. Let's continue. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
Notice it says that as they went, they were cleansed. It wasn't an instantly. They were not cleansed the second they were standing there, but they also didn't have to wait till they got to their destination. They were cleansed as they went. Let's continue verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The last word there where it says made you well, another translation says it made you whole. We're going to get to why that's important in a second. One Christian scholar named Matthew Henry who lived years and years and years ago, wrote regarding this story, this intimates that ingratitude is a very common sin. Of the many that receive mercy from God, there are but few, very few, that return to give thanks in a right manner. Scarcely one in ten that render according to the benefit done to them. Did you guys notice he called ingratitude a sin? That's really strong language for us today, isn't it? Well, Henry continues in his commentary, how those often prove most grateful from whom it was least expected. This is the point of the Samaritan. A Samaritan gives thanks, and the rest did not. Thus, many who profess revealed religion are outdone and quite shamed by some that are governed only by natural religion. Henry is saying that the more seasoned follower of Jesus that it's easy to take for granted what he's done for us. That people who have grown up in church a lot of times forget why they're there. <clears throat> Jesus is praising the Samaritan who showed gratitude and calling out the other nine. See, the Jews represent, the other nine Jews represent those who have been following God. God, the Jews were called God's chosen people. They grew up with it. How easy is it for those who've known Jesus for a long time to take for granted who he is and what he does for us? So Matthew Henry called ingratitude a sin. But we've all been here before, haven't we? We've all received God's mercy, his grace, and yet we struggle to show the proper gratitude. How many times have we prayed for God to intervene and then when he does, we go about our life like nothing happened? Remember, of the ten, only the Samaritan went back to praise God and show his gratitude. That's one in ten. That's significant. I'm sure there are people here today who feel like they have nothing to be grateful for. People who have never felt like they fit in, never feel, felt like they were good enough. Maybe it's your body image. Maybe it's you've struggled financially. Maybe you've struggled relationally. Maybe you've felt like you've had a lot of failure in your life. The feeling of not being good enough often leads us to not feel like we have any reason to be grateful. Maybe as you've listened today, you've had a hard time because you can't think of anything that you want to be grateful for. I want to say to you that you're not alone. Everyone in this room goes through seasons of life where they don't feel they have the ability to be grateful. That's much more common than we like to think it is. But the beautiful part is you can be 
more grateful. Remember, it's not scales. You don't have to wait to achieve this gratefulness. You can choose to just be a little grateful, and that is grateful. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have something to be grateful for. You have a loving Savior who gave up everything for you. So we need to commit our focus to the positive and not the negative, because that so easily captures our attention. This week I heard a podcast from a gentleman who wrote a book. He talked about extreme gratitude. Now this guy was in my, he went, went, went way to the extreme, okay? This guy would wake up in the morning for one year. He set out to do this on purpose. He would wake up in the morning and he would thank his alarm clock for going off. He would get in his car and turn the key and it would start and he would be so grateful that his car started and he would verbally thank it. He said there were a few times where he got in an elevator, pushed a button and it went up. And even though there was someone in there, he thanked the elevator for going up. Okay? He went way to the extreme. He flew to Colombia because he loves coffee. Coffee drinkers, you all want to go to Colombia? He went to the bean pickers and learned what they do. And then he thanked them. Is that me? Sorry. And then he thanked them. Is it not connected? Move your mic back to your mouth. Better? Okay. He thanked the bean pickers for what they do. He spent one entire year being grateful. The cool thing, the thing that I found fascinating was at the end of this interview, he couldn't stop talking about how much better his life was as a result of that year that he spent. He raved about how much much more he appreciated things, how much more excitement and joy he got out of life. Because uh, he realized that what happened was he became a happier person. It had that impact in his life. And the reality is, we all want to be happy, don't we? Think about it for a second. We have a lot of things that we want, but when you boil each one down to its core, what you find is is people just want to be happy. We want to have material things because we think they'll make us happy. We want to have a good marriage and good relationships with our kids because we think that will make us happy. We all truly just want to be happy, to fill in a void of something that's lacking inside of us. We want to find that inner happiness or contentment, and we think the next thing is going to get us there. I've known, I've seen so many stories and heard so many conversations with people where they were always seeking after something to make them happy. And then on the flip side, I've seen people who have so much less than any of us, and they are happy. Why? Because they were positive, because they were grateful. They enjoyed what they had rather than focus on what they did not. Our next fill in the blank is this. A life of gratitude creates a life of happiness. I want to tell you a little story about myself. This is going to be a little challenging um, because it's real. So I hope that you... Bear with me. Um, About seven years ago, I quit that job at the church uh, because my wife and I felt like we uh, want, like God was calling us to be involved in church planting. So we felt like uh, we wanted to move out to the East Coast and be involved in church planting. So we packed up all of our stuff. We moved out to Washington, D.C., and uh, we were going to be involved in church planting, whether it was, we were planning on starting a church. Well, we, we hit a lot of roadblocks for a year. 
And our coaches and mentors out there told us that they thought maybe we would be better suited to come back to Minnesota, where we were from and new people, to do this. So we came back. And the first step that we're supposed to take that we had not taken yet was go to an assessment center. An assessment center is where a bunch of pastors and church planters get together, spend a week with you, and then they tell you whether or not they think that you're going to be successful planting a church. And at the end of the week, we got the worst news that we thought we possibly could get. They didn't feel like we were going to be successful doing that. It was pretty devastating for us, and we, uh, it took a shot at me, at my confidence, and it was really challenging for the next year. We worked through a lot of that, um, but uh, about a year later, after that happened, we met a guy who was planting a church, and we were really excited. He wanted us to come on board, uh, be a part of it, and so we did, and we spent three months there building it. We started with about 20 people, and we were at about 100 people, um, and uh, one Monday morning came, and I got a text, and he was quitting, and he just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't handle it. Some things came to light. Um, about him and the family and whatnot, and what happened was the entire church fell apart. And the challenge for me was is that I was really involved, and me and my, my wife and daughter felt like we had found a home, a church that we could call our own. And when it all fell apart, it was extremely, extremely challenging for me. It sent me down a pretty bad spiral. My relationship with my wife and daughter were really struggling. And I felt like I was losing control of everything. Um, there's only one way I know how to describe it. I felt like there was just a cloud over me, and I just couldn't overcome whatever was going on. I couldn't process things properly. I just really, what it boiled down to is I just really wanted to run away. It wasn't that I didn't know what I needed to do. It was I just had no idea how to do it. <clears throat> so I'm here at my lowest depths, and... I'm getting ready to just run. I had actually found a place to go live. I was going to leave my family, and uh, I had planned on going on Saturday. Saturday came, and I just couldn't, I couldn't go. That afternoon, Kim asked me, she had gone to a church, I think a week or two before, she asked me, will you come to church with me tomorrow? And I said, sure, so we came to Mosaic. <laughs> The worship was really good. We got here about one second before it started, because that's what you do when you're visiting a church, right? You get here one second before, you sit in the back. As soon as it's done, you run out. So we got to this church. We sat down. Worship was good. And the pre-message video started, and you guys are going to love this. It starts off by saying, have you ever wanted to run away? <laughs> Maybe your marriage isn't going the way you think it should. Maybe things are really difficult. So Kim leans over to me without making eye contact and says, I swear, I had no idea. Sits back up. She's probably terrified. Like, what happened here? And the video continues and says, maybe life's been disappointing and you don't feel like you've measured up. Maybe you've experienced failure. I mean, this video was literally using the words that I was thinking and that I had told a few people. At least that's how I remember it. I wish I could tell you what Pastor Eric said that day. I have no idea. I remember two things from that day, that video and God's love just coming over me. <clears throat> Later that week, I went to coffee with Eric, and I told him everything except for the uh, I packed a bag and was ready to leave part. <laughs> I seriously unloaded on him. He listened, and without an ounce of judgment, he told me exactly what he should have and exactly what I needed to hear. 
It was really funny. It was a couple months after we started coming to Mosaic regularly. He said, yeah, you left that day. And I'm like, all right, I'll never see him again. He was convinced I was going to run. But Kim and I kept coming back to Mosaic. I don't think I've ever even verbalized it until this week. But Mosaic accepted me at my lowest. I've never been lower than I was then. And the people here, you guys, you embraced me. A lot of you didn't know, had no idea what was going on, but you never asked. You never judged. You just accepted us. You never looked down on us, even when we told some people what, is, what, what happened. Not one time did we ever feel condemnation from anybody here. And that's why we committed to Mosaic. You accepted us regardless of our flaws. That's why I was so excited when Pastor Eric asked me to speak this weekend. He told me that the message title was Positive People Are Grateful. And it's really, it's funny how God works. But one of the biggest lessons that I learned from my struggle that God revealed to me over the coming months was that it was grateful. It was my ingratitude that was causing me to spiral down. I was focusing on all the negative and not looking at any of the positives. And it was scaring me and making me want to run. I learned something. Gratitude can fill in the gaps. This is not on our note sheet, but it's good. Gratitude can fill in the gaps where you're feeling inadequate or where you're struggling. I had been focusing on the negativity in my life and nothing positive. I was so lost and I was so hurt that the only thing that stood out to me were the struggles. I focused on my failures and it caused me to spiral down and I felt like the Lord was telling me that only being grateful would bring me back. So I started with my wife, with my daughter, with my friends. I started verbally telling people that I love them and appreciate them more. I had a huge win two months ago when I asked my daughter, do, you know, do I tell you I love you enough? And she's like, honestly, it's kind of, kind of getting annoying. And I'm like, yes! You know, inside I'm like doing this, but I'm sitting here like, okay, okay. I'll slow down a little bit. I started intentionally being grateful for my life, not necessarily for the elevator going up and down, but for what mattered for the people. In my head, I started thinking of ways to show my gratitude. I started to tell my wife how much I loved her, how much she meant to me, even when I didn't feel like it, even when she rolled her eyes at me. I started to tell my daughter how smart and beautiful she is, even when I didn't want to have a conversation because I was irritated because, you know, parents and kids get irritated with each other. When I didn't feel grateful, I found something to be grateful for. The results have been astounding. I don't think I've ever been happier in my life. I feel for the first time that I have a church family. God has really picked us up from our lowest depths, and he's brought us to a place where we can enjoy life. And a big part of the reason why is because of you guys. Because you come and you serve and you give and you volunteer and you show up on Sunday morning and you come to small groups and you go to men's events and women's events. Because you text and call throughout the week. You build community and relationship and that is something to be grateful for. To have that as the greatest gift you can ever have. The Bible has some things to say about gratitude. We're not going to read the verses attached to them, but there are last fill in the blanks. So the first one is, every good thing I have comes from God. 
James 1, 7. I will not, number two, I will not let what I want rob me of what I have. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Number three, I will turn every blessing I have into praise. Psalm 64, 4 through 5. Set up reminders of these things. Because there's going to be times and seasons in your life where you're not feeling like being grateful. But gratitude is what's going to ultimately lead you to happiness and contentment. I heard a, another podcast this week from a, a gentleman who wrote a book about gratefulness, and it's about writing handwritten thank you notes. So this guy writes 365 handwritten thank you notes a year, sends them to people. If he reads a book that changes his life, he sends it to the author, his wife, his kids, people in his you know, life, clients at work. He writes handwritten notes all the time to show his gratitude. And the funny thing is he said, you know, he gets, he, now because he wrote this book, of course, he gets a ton of them. And he said they're great to get, but the best feeling in the world is to send them out to somebody else. Because when I write down what I'm thankful for, it lifts me up. And I thought that was good. I think I'm going to start writing handwritten thank you notes. There's a lot of other information about there, out there about why gratefulness is such a good thing. I really, really encourage you guys to take a look at it. We're in the self-help improvement time of year, right? It's January. It's when most people sign up for gym memberships that don't get used. When people start diets that don't finish. Everybody wants to improve themselves. And you know what? Being grateful for the people in your life is a great first step. Most of the stuff that you should do is pretty common sense. Be thankful by expressing to other people how you feel. Don't let any opportunity pass to praise your kids to praise your wife, to love her, serve others. I cannot tell you more how strongly serving other people will lift you up. It will make such a difference in your life. Give of yourself to other people. It may sound a little counterintuitive to think that if I give of myself that I'm going to be filled up in return, but you will. Be Jesus to those around you and, and your gratefulness will grow exponentially. The most important thing that you can take with you today is this. I wrote this down. Gratitude isn't something we have once we gain a specific level of success or once we have everything we want or need. Gratitude is what gets us closer to the thing that we all want, happiness. So you don't have to be extreme. You don't have to thank the elevator in the car. But I highly recommend that you thank the people in your life that you thank the community that you have, that you write little notes, that you show your appreciation because it's not only going to lift them up, it's going to lift you up. And coming from someone who was at his lowest, I can tell you that gratitude is what brought me much, much higher. So our last fill in the blank, I want to get this in because I think it's so good. Modeling how to be grateful is one of the most impactful gifts that you can give your children. You want to enjoy more success at work? Be grateful for what you have. You want better relationships? Be grateful. If you feel like you're at your lowest and it can't get any worse than it is right now, find one thing to be grateful for. Latch onto it and every day think about it because it will help you take the next step. And it's going to be a journey back. You don't just go from down here to up here without taking many steps. But every step of gratitude is a step in the right direction. Gratitude will change your life. Ask me how I know. Can we pray? 
Heavenly Father, I, I'm just in awe of you. I know that you are the reason why we're all able to go from our lowest to our highest. And Father, I just am very appreciative of the fact that there are people in our community who are willing to be your hands and feet. That there are lots of Jeremy's out there in our community. We're surrounded by them who need more of you. And Father, I just thank you that you give us that opportunity. That you've placed Mosaic here with a purpose to make a difference in people's lives. And I ask that this week you would empower and help us to take that next step in, that, in the direction to achieve that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jeremy. Jeremy's given a, a lot of things to take with us into the week, and I just encourage you to go home, talk about that with your families, your neighbors, your friends, process it a little bit, meditate on it, take advantage of the 21 days of prayer that you're in, and if it's your first time praying in the 21 days of prayer, Take two minutes. Take two minutes. Before we, uh, before we wrap up the service uh, with our final song, I'm going to uh, ask our ushers to uh, come forward and, and uh, receive our offering. Uh, we took the benevolence offering earlier, and that, uh, again, is really to impact and provide and bless the people in our community. Uh, the offering here uh, that we receive at the end of the service is, is uh, again for people who have decided to call Mosaic their church home. And this is the offering that uh, helps us uh, pay our staff and our rent. And, and uh, I just want to uh, invite you to uh, drop your connection card in that offering. As we go out of here singing. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this last song? We've only scratched the surface and only had just one glimpse. We've tasted of your glory. There's so much more We're standing on horizons Where earth collides with heaven You're longing for your children To cry out for more we cry out for more So let it echo From this city To the nations A sound of praise Let the windows 
your presence surrounded by your spirit we're satisfied but desperate for even more of you even more of you so let it echo through this city to the sound of praise let the windows of the heavens open wide and let it rain let it echo through this city to the nations the sound of
Thank you, Lord. Have a blessed week.